Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Englert. I am one of the co-hosts here. We're here with our illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. That never gets old. Gets old, I'll take it. Illustrious, yeah. Our fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder, and our remarkable senior pastor who is joining the three times interview club on Why God Why. Nice, awesome, glad to be here. There you go, so we're glad to have you. We're, uh, as a church, we're celebrating our 100th year anniversary, our centennial. So the question that we're responding to is why does 100 years matter? And our, you know, the reason we exist as a podcast is because we want to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. And you may wonder why, why would I listen to this podcast? Well, I think there's a story here about a church that's imperfect, that loves Jesus, that makes a difference, and we're here excited to hear from Rob about that. What do you think? No, absolutely. I, I'm uh, really thankful that Pastor Rob is here with us today, and uh, you know, I kind of feel like maybe I should have worn a suit or something or a jacket because I got my my boss on here. I don't know. You're looking uh, pretty sharp. I like that shirt, Aaron. You're all right, pretty whew. good. Okay, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're all right then. To, uh, you know, <laughs> tell, tell Pete and I where you got that. There and, we go. And Nate. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm really excited about this conversation. We. We uh, before we had actually a couple of our uh, our partners here in uh, the Rochester area on our podcast talking about you know what is a hundred years matter for a church to be in a community for a hundred years and it was really good to talk to them from that perspective and uh, I'm really excited about hearing from from you Pastor Robin you know honestly I'd, I'd love to start with just like tell us some of your story how did you how did you get here I know bits and pieces of it but. I don't know a lot of it, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know either. How did you end up at Browncroft? Well, I am from here. Uh, many people would know that, but maybe not everybody. Born and raised Rochester, um, went to high school here and even college here. So my family's here, um, And but when I finished college um, uh, at the U of R, then I decided to go to seminary, and I did that in uh, in Dallas, Texas, Dallas Theological Seminary. And I uh, was there for a church for 10 years, but then, um, you know, in, in, in a strange way, God called me here. It is kind of a unique story. I, I was um, not really looking for a job. Um, I had a great job. Really, only my only only job after seminary was it was it, it's called Fellowship uh, Dallas. It's a church in Dallas, and that was... Um, my only job, and I'd been there really nine years and really enjoying it. Was, you know, had had uh, finished seminary and you know enjoyed my life in Dallas and and um, but I would come up here. Um, of course, my family was here. I'd be here at least twice a year. You know, Christmas and in summer um, Adirondack trip. So and sometimes more, but in the in the uh, late winter or uh, early late winter of two thousand and four and into the um, or no, actually, it would have been, yeah, late winter or of, of 2004, or maybe even into, I'm sorry, the fall of 2004, my uh, mother um, was diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, she was going through treatment. And so in that season, I started to come up here a lot. And um, so I was here, I, would, you know, I might be here for a week at a time, but I didn't have a lot to do hmm. because I mean, um, other than, of course, visiting her, but I mean, which I did, but, you know, um, then my family members, you know, they went to work. And so um, I was, this is my hometown, but I wasn't really living here at the time. So I got connected with um, 
Um, actually, a guy used to work here, a name that many won't remember, Jim Lytle, who was on staff here. And Jim and I didn't know each other well, but he and my brother-in-law knew each other well. Mm. And Jim didn't really know me, but he knew about me, mainly through my brother-in-law, but we both went to the same seminary. Huh. So Jim was just sort of an affable, you know, out, outgoing guy, and he, he reached out to me. And so we started to just talk, and, and I think I had coffee with him, and at the time the other um, interim pastor, Brockhoff, was, was in between senior pastors, Phil Schmunk, and just talking about, um, you know, um, shop, that is to say church. And because at the time I was from Dallas, Texas, which in the church world is a, is a place of, I don't know, where a lot of people, um, uh, there's a lot of big churches and, and a couple of the larger seminaries are in Dallas, Fort Worth. So it was just a place to talk about, you know, what's going on in the greater world. And so I, I had lunch and coffee with those guys. And I was, I was back and forth to Rochester over a period of maybe just a couple months when my mother was going through that treatment. But, you know, maybe over those couple months, I might have had, I don't know, half a dozen, um, you know, sit-downs at Starbucks with these guys, I think mostly Phil and, uh, and Jim, and um, just talking about church. And then a couple months after that, my mother did pass away um, in 2004, and a couple months after that, I was, um, I get a call from one of the elders who just said, hey, um, you don't know me? And, uh, you know, I uh, uh, just calling, I know you're not necessarily looking for a job. I don't know anything about your story, but I've heard good things about you. And, and we'd be, I'd be interested in having a conversation with you. And, and, uh, and, and so I did. And that led to some more conversations and eventually me um, responding to their invitation to apply to be the senior pastor. So mm. that story maybe a lot of people don't know anymore because it's kind of old. But um, that's how I got involved, and it was a long journey. I was probably that from from that first phone call to the time I was the pastor was probably a whole year, and it was because you know it, it was a long journey search. I was flattered, but not necessarily um, interested. I wasn't looking for a job, and and I think the church, um, you know, I, they were just doing their due diligence. I don't know that they were you know, uh, crazy about me. I mean, and it was just, I was one of the guys on the, on the list. So that took some time and I had a, I had a job at the time where I was traveling a bunch. And so time took, uh, it took some time, but eventually, um, I think I became, I became more serious in my own prayer and thought. And at some point the church became more interested in me, hmm. you know, over some months. And uh, that culminated in, in the end of that year, 2004, of uh, candidating, and and uh, I started in early 2005. So and, that's and how I got here. The rest is history, I guess. I guess, yeah. The rest is history. <laughs> did you know about Browncroft before you? I did. Oh. Um, my not, but although I grew up in Rochester and in, in West Aranaquite, not in Penfield, so I knew of Browncroft, and I think my brother-in-law had come here some before he was my brother-in-law. But really, I didn't. Um, I had never been to Browncroft um, that I can think of for any reason, um, and uh, because you know I just was just was not invited or was not we did not grow up in this immediate area. Right. So yes, I knew of the church, 
Um, and but I had never been here and really didn't you know it's funny when you grow up now Rochester seems like a small town but then if you grow up on you know I grew up in a rondequoit you know <laughs> I don't think I went to Fairport till I was in you know 17 or something you know what I mean I mean you just you, it's like the other side of the world right so um, I, I was not familiar and I didn't become a Christian until I was a college student so churches like Browncroft you know let's call it an evangelical church um, you know was not on my radar Right. I, I couldn't have told you if you asked me in high school tell me three evangelical churches I wouldn't even have known what you were talking about so in that sense I didn't know it and then but I eventually came to under know who Browncroft was and, and knew people that went there so I'll let I'll let Peter get a word in edgewise here in a second but I'm curious what is that all right Peter you're doing great all, Keep right, going. Great. all right so um, you know sometimes we have to arm wrestle here for the it's okay microphone, but um, so what was it about Browncroft that kind of like caught your attention that made you I mean I know they they approached you and you had good yeah. conversations with them but was there something in the church itself that kind of grabbed your attention mm. something that you saw some um, excitement in promise in maybe a need what was the well what it's was interesting it? I, I don't think I really by the time I I had been in conversations with the church before I ever came here um, so I think my to first answer your question was what most impressed me really wasn't the church, that is say the building, the facility, or that I'd even had any sense of being in a service, but it was through conversations, really. Mm. And um, the first one was um, from a guy who's still here, Brent Heckman, who was an elder, and he was the head of this search team. He's the one that called me out of the blue. I mean, he introduced himself as an elder because when I was here, it, you know, these original conversations, it was just with two staff guys, just like, you know, pastors talking shop. I was a pastor, a associate pastor in a church in Texas, and these other guys were associate pastors here. So when Brent called me, um, you know, that was kind of an official call. And I would say the short answer is he really, if it was not for his, I don't know, his candor, his wisdom, his winsomeness, um, I don't think I'd ever gotten past that phone call, or he had a couple phone calls. Um, so number one was this, the quality of who he was, and and he kind of, you know, in a gentle way, talked me into staying in the process, even when it was clear I was not, you know, let's say the the uh, in a top candidate. So first, he just talked me into doing it in the first place because I didn't, I was open to it, but. I wasn't looking to leave my job, and, and they weren't hotly pursuing me, so it was kind of casual. So he talked me into doing that, and it was sort of an exercise of faith for me, you know, like uh, just saying, well, I'll just pray about it. Maybe this is a practice run, and, and it was kind of, I would say, you know, not super serious for them or for me. Um, but then he was, he, was, he was great, and then when I did finally um, have a conversation with the search team, um, it was it was the quality of those conversations. Really, I can still remember Christy Rush. Um, the name some might know is not here anymore, um, and she uh, was part of that team. And she was just uh, I mean there were others, but those are two people. There was a handful of people on that team that really just uh, impressed me. Mm. And so I would say that was really it. Now That's once cool. I came here, um, there's a lot of things I liked about the church. I was impressed with its. You know, it's even speaking of the centennial, you know, you could tell this was a church that had a lot of, I don't know, spiritual depth and breadth, you know, um, in my relation, in the, when I first talked to the elder board, when I got to meet parts of the congregation, 
um, I could see that, you know, this the, the history of the church without even knowing that the mm. church was had the history it did. I think I could sense that a certain, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. A, a, we we often say Bromcroft's a thinking church, and I mean that as a, as a as a compliment. So I think those were things that that impressed me about the church mm. when I first came. So I think a lot of our listeners they're really struggling with church and you know they might not like the institution of church and um you've been very real and authentic about there's four years that browncroft didn't have a pastor and then you've been very real about these 17 years have not always been the easiest and i I guess i'd just be kind of curious from your perspective there's a lot of pastors that are quitting there's a lot of you're still here there's still a lot of energy you know, what is it about it in this season when it seems like, you know, we're we're questioning Christianity, we're questioning the church? What has it that's really energized you in this t- season? Well, there's two questions there. One is about the church and being a pastor. One is about my faith or, you know, people in general. I think on the, um, on the latter, I would say um, I'm probably um, – you know, uh, I'm not where the culture is in the sense of. I think you're right, Pete, in what you're saying. I think the culture is confused, and a lot of people. The church is the is is come. You know, people come from the world into the church, but I would say my faith is probably the strongest it's ever been in my life. And I don't. And that's. I'm not saying I'm a spiritual giant, but I would just say for me, I think I have I have a stronger faith um, in than I have ever had in my you know adult life. My love for the Word of God, my my um, sense of of God's place in my life, and even my conviction about the fundamentals of the faith. So, in that sense, I'm I'm probably um, I don't know if that's just about age and stage or whatever, but I don't share a lot of the um, you know confusion and skepticism of our culture. I respect it, but I don't share it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, but when it comes to your other question, I think about the church. Um, you know, how do I, if you're right, and I, I hope you are, I think you are, that I'm, I'm enthusiastic about my job. I would say I'm also as enthusiastic as I've been in my career, you know, um, about, about being a pastor. And now that doesn't mean it's been always up to the right, mm-hmm. um, but I think, I think the reason that is, and maybe this is a compliment to the church, I think, you know, the last 17 years have been challenging in a lot of ways. I don't know that they've been unique to me. Mm. Um, they are in some ways, but I mean, being a pastor of a church is a challenge for all. It's like being a parent, and so for all the reasons that you might think that you are both um, leading an organization while you're trying to grow into that leader. Well, it's like you're parenting kids when you don't really know. All you don't. You're sort of figuring out what it means to be a parent as you're being a parent. I think that's probably true of every pastor. Mm. Um, and this is my one and only senior pastor job. So even though I'd been a pastor for nine years, I wasn't a senior pastor. So you know, no matter how similar those things are, and I did come from a big church and learned a lot of nice, great things that gave me a level of confidence. Uh, you know, the, my first day here was my first day here. Mm. So I think I was like a lot of people, uh, you know, Pete, when I had to just learn some things, I would say most of my troubles or I don't know, whatever the right word is, really were probably largely self-inflicted, you know, or um, either self-inflicted through being too eager, 
not being, um, not knowing enough, you know, as, as we all are in our, in our ministries or our careers, trying to, to um, do things sooner than they need to be done or not fully appreciating mm-hmm. um, the, the environment. Because, you know, being a pastor, I often said to people, it's kind of like being a, of a church that you didn't start. It's like being a step-parent in mm. the sense of you're inheriting a family that already has a um, network of relationships, that already has levels of maturity, that already has interests and, and, and points of view. And you're now becoming like a parent mm. to children that you didn't birth. Well. That's wonderful on the cover on the, on the on the Christmas card, but when it comes to trying to actually understand how to shepherd and lead people that you didn't really birth, mm-hmm. right, which is different than a church plan, you you learn things sometimes the hard way, and you you uh, I, I think I made assumptions that I um, that were turned out to be wrong about people or either about how hard things would be. So I had I think many of those difficulties, but I would say, you know. Is a compliment to Browncroft, you know, through thick and thin, where I made mistakes or moved too quick or too slow, you know, the church moved with me. I mm. mean, I think one of the great compliments to this church, in my opinion, is, um, and I'm not always sure they did the right thing by me. That is to say that they, they, they allowed me to grow up while I while I was at the same time becoming their pastor, mm. and that's a t- tremendous gift. And I'm, I'm humbled by it because at times, you know, I could look back, I'm sure people in the church club and go, you know, we, we might have been able to move quicker here or smarter here if our pastor um, was ready. And, um, but they stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that, all that to say, if I'm answering your question, I, I, I feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and grateful to be where I am and I'm not done. But I feel very much the better person um, for being here and 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 being in the in this church and being able to grow and, and serve. I I appreciate that resilience and just even the humility and perspective. And I guess I want to shift to kind of the story of the church because I think some of our listeners are even asking, does the church even matter? And I think the question that the three of or I'll add Nathan in the four of us you know, ask a lot as church leaders is if our church disappeared tomorrow, would anybody notice? And as you as a pastor, as you think through celebrating a hundred years at, at a church, what do you think, what do you think would happen if Browncroft didn't exist in Rochester? You know, that's a great question, uh, you know, because uh, it's a great question to ask in over t- in the history of the church because we typically think of local churches, you know, like what would Penfield do or, you know, what would this corner of the world do without a church? I'm not sure I always think of it that way here, although we are doing, we have become more and more, let's say, aware and engaged even in, let's say, our Penfield, like Good Neighbor Day and with Penfield Fourth of July mm-hmm. and, and most of us live, I'd say a majority of this church lives in Penfield, most are not all, but I mean, let's say that's in, the, in those two, two big suburbs. But I think of Browncroft in some ways of having even, a, even part of the city, it's even beyond, um, and, and people, people come here um, from, from things outside of our suburb. But I guess I would, so I, I answer the question saying, I don't know, I'd hope that Penfield would miss us, I mean, our, our immediate geography. But I think beyond that, I think you know, I, I would like to think it's really about life change. You know, I don't know that I think that's the bottom line. And I would hope that, you know, um, if if Browncroft closed its doors, and I hope it never does, that 
um, God would 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 um, create other opportunities, would plant other churches that would do this work. But I think what Browncroft does has done so well. Perhaps why God has allowed it to stay where it is is really it's really about impacting lives. And and what are those? Certainly, families come to mind. The family ministry has been a huge ministry here. And I still, when I talk to people, Pizza for the Pastor is an example. You know, why are people here? Um, they're here because their their kids come and they feel engaged. And 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 I talk to a lot of parents who who you know are here because they're trying to educate their kids. So I think that would be something that would be missed. Of course, other churches do it, but I don't know uh, you know that churches do it. Um, many do it better or as well. And so that would be something for sure. I think that would be missed. I think Browncroft's commitment. If you were in church last Sunday, I was encouraged that Marilyn Pelton mentioned this, who's been here for many, many years, you know, since the, I think her and her husband came in the mid-70s, so that's a long time ago when they were very, very young. And she said just in the last, you know, handful of years, I don't know what she meant by that, Browncroft's commitment or maybe recommitment to um, our city, you know, that is the city of Rochester, the city zip codes. I would like to think that's important. I just got off the phone a little while ago with, with Mike Hennessy, just you know, an hour ago, just as an example, our Youth for Christ leader. But I think that would be something I think would be missed, um, to, to our, our commitment to engage our community in, in what's going on in the city. And, uh, but you know, I think it's ultimately about people. You know, I, I think the best thing that any church does that's, that's um, Let's call it a you know a Bible preaching teaching church is is to share the gospel mm-hmm. and um, to see people experience life change and and um, I still see that you know in this church you know in 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 single people married people people that are new to the faith um, we we met someone on pizza with the pastor this past Sunday whatever this Sunday twenty fourth of April. Um, it was a woman who was, I think she self-disclosed, she was 40 years old from here, um, and she'd never, Easter Sunday was the first time she'd ever been to church in her entire life. Mm. Now, I didn't get the backstory because there's a lot of people on that call, so we don't get to go into deep, although we may, Kim may do that. But, you know, that's just, it's so encouraging. And she seemed very, gen- and in the last one we had, which was a month ago, would have been in the middle of March, I can remember a, a young woman who um, I think she's a PhD student at the U of R, originally from Myanmar, I think. Um, and she had a kind of a similar story, a very interesting story of how she got here through the troubles in Myanmar over the last many, many years. But she just talked about um, her faith, which I'm not even sure she's a Christian, um, but sort of very much talking about her journey of faith. And, and, and I thought, it's amazing that God led this woman if you knew her story, you know, um, ultimately to Rochester, New York, to Browncroft, mm-hmm. and how she was talking about how God was drawing her in. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are just yeah. two quick stories. I think that's that 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 I hope Pete would be the most important miss if we weren't here. So for and for those who are are listening who may not know Browncroft as well yet, um, Pizza with the Pastor is an opportunity for new guests to to get more plugged into our congregation and and they get to have a, a pizza with with pastor yeah. rob virtually so for anyone listening right now if you want to visit browncroft it's a good time so that's my <laughs> that's my little commercial my little commercial there um but uh yeah no i think that's 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 really great pastor i really liked it that you brought up um 
even the the idea of plugging in more to our community i think i think i mean as i've been looking at browncroft's history uh i've noticed browncroft being involved in the community throughout the decades which is really cool i think it's one thing that's impressed me a lot as i've been researching what's been going on in this church um one of our colleagues labeled me indiana mercer the other day uh, because because i've been searching through our records and i love history i'm a little bit of a nerd but um but i really have been impressed uh, since I've been here, seeing how Browncroft has been involved with the city, uh, city of Rochester, and with the town of Penfield, our local community, and and that's something I think that has really blossomed uh, yeah. quite a bit in the last, certainly the last handful of years, last fifteen years during your tenure. How did you build those those relationships? I mean, I I know there's a lot of people here who are working things at different angles. I know Peter's been involved with that as well, but. You know, as the as the senior pastor here, how have you how have you made that happen so that there is so Browncroft is making a difference in this community and connecting with the the right people to to make things yeah. happen? In many ways, it's it's you know Browncroft because I was saying before has had such a rich history. It has always it seemed to have whether it's missionaries or local missions or even work in evangelism. It has a footprint. Hmm. So it has so in some cases whether it's city ministry in the in the city of Rochester or or family ministry, you know, things ebb and flow. They're, sometimes they're they're at a low ebb, but there but there's a history there to draw upon. Mm-hmm. And um, so we even even to answer your question relative to the city, Browncroft's had a long relationship with, um, you know, Rochester Family Mission as an example, going way back to its genesis, yep. literally. Um, we actually and, had them on uh, last in our episode that aired last week. Okay, um, and and we showed the. Financial statement from 1927 okay. showing that we had given them money yeah. in their first year. Yeah, I remember meeting people when I first came who, you know, the Cowie family who were involved in that, um, you know, going way back to its genesis. Uh, people that um, were still, you know, uh, still involved and have some, you know, connection to this church today. But I think so, but, to, you know, so there was something to work with. Mm-hmm. I can remember when I very first came, Stephen Sherrod Babbitt um, taking me to what the time, this would have been, let's say, 2005 ish. Um, to a piece of property that they were uh, that RFM was thinking about buying, they didn't end up buying. But I mean, that was like within the first many months of being mm-hmm. here. There are these little bus tours, van tours that were going on Saturday to see that. So even though there have been some things that um, were um, either restarted, re-energized, or new things, the Browncroft had a footprint to work with. That's the first answer mm-hmm. to your question. So, uh, but I think you know, for me. I think you know you're 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 looking at what what can we do. I think Browncroft's always had a strong commitment to missions, um, and typically you think of missions as global missions. But I think one of the things I felt strong about as being a pastor um, was, you know, the discipleship of the congregation. And um, as great as is what we call global missions are, and, I, and I'm, I'm a, I used to be a global missions pastor, so to speak, so a very strong commitment to that. But I I was thinking about how to get people engaged in. Mm. And service, um, serving, using, being involved in ministry, not only in the church but in the community, um, is one of the best ways to people to be discipled. So I think, Aaron, what, one of the things I thought is how can we do that, and and how can we use the network we have or or build a network. Um, so I think it was a desire to want to see um, people engage in their faith and discipleship. That I I had this conviction that knowing that. 
in, if we're local, we could get a lot more people involved. Hmm. And so I think I leaned in there at the time when I first came, they had hired a missions pastor. So I thought, well, so there's someone has that job. So, you know, I've been talking about a global missions. Uh, so I think it was an opportunity for me um, to exercise some um, pastoral leadership, even connect with people. So that would be, I would say, one of the reasons that I, I really felt like that was uh, something I wanted to do. That's great. So, you know, this morning I was reading um, The Resilient Pastor by Glenn Packiam, and he's from, um, he's writing on behalf of Barna, and the first page, he mentions Walter Rauschenbusch. Yep. And for our listeners that don't know, Walter mm -hmm. Rauschenbusch was from Rochester, New York, basically started what we call the social gospel, which really focused on helping people. But the critique was, is there was a little loss of who Jesus was and the authority of the Bible. And Browncroft's history is basically in response to the social gospel of affirming the authority of the Bible. And I, I think what I'm hearing from you that I'd love to hear you respond is, you know, there's this thought that you're going either one way or the other, but what you're seeing, at least in your 17 years here and in the 100 years, Browncroft hasn't chosen one side or the other of, you know, pursuing social justice, pursuing social change, while also not giving up the gospel or overdoing it. What you've said in the history of this church is that they've really tried to manage that tension of, if Jesus Christ has really changed our lives as individuals in a community, that means we're here in Rochester, New York, Monroe County, in the state of New York, and even across the world to make it a better place. I mean, how, how have you kind of entered that conversation knowing a little bit of that history? Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, just, you know, I, my impression of coming to the church was they, they did have a great... Um, Experience both in a strong commitment to the to the to the evangel, so to speak. You know, the a commitment to teaching the scriptures and and being you know evangelical, and and that was very important to them, and I and that was important to me, and uh, and and they did have a great history. I think it was it ebbs and flows. You know, I think even 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 global missions, there was a time under Pastor. Um, Crawford, who's one of the you know the longest single senior pastor ser serving senior pastor, thirty four years ish. Does that sound right? Thirty seven years. Thirty seven yeah. years. Yeah. Sorry, but I'm I, the history nerd. Remember that? Uh, <laughs> that's good. We, we, so we you, we we, uh, we need you around here to help, help help us remember what we don't know. But I remember he, I was told early on this is a significant statistic that sometime this could have been in the nineteen seventies, but he was given an award by Houghton College um, for. Um, it's, it's just as one single church that had um, raised up X number of missionaries. So they didn't just support a lot of missionaries, which isn't a bad thing, and Browncroft does that. But many of the missionaries who support aren't from Browncroft. They, they find their way through Browncroft through relationships or networks or agencies. But he had gotten an award to, um, that, was, that was about um, raising up missionaries from the church, you know, like you know, Pete and Robert Angler decided to go to missionary. If they if they did that, they, they they would be sort of homegrown. They they felt the call while they were here in this church. So I think that's a beautiful thing. It's that that's sort of a perfect you know example of both marrying the commitment to the the word of God and the ultimate uh, great commission and seeing how it can make an impact both in this case with missionaries. So Browncroft did a good job, and Browncroft did have a, a great commitment. Although I think it had in my sense, had become, I don't know, um, less um, hot 
Mm -hmm. um, I'm talking about locally, whether it was with the jail ministry, that'd be a great example, right, of, of, of working in the, in, the, in the county jail, which they've done forever, but I mean, I think it was very big at some time, and RFM was big at one time, and but I think, you know, so I think Browncroft had a good sense of that. I don't, I don't think Browncroft at all, in my opinion, leaned in the direction of the social gospel, as you, as you mentioned. What does that mean, you know, that people feel like the gospel means just helping people that, are in, that need help? That is the gospel. Um, and where we would say the gospel is, you know, encountering uh, the forgiveness of Christ um, and being in a relationship with Jesus, which then um, helps one live a Christ-like life. You, you know, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. I don't think Browncroft ever had that, uh, my sense, um, uh, made that mistake. Um, but they, um, they showed that they had done a great job in these things in the past. And so um, I, don't, I don't remember ever hearing any um, pushback, but I just sensed, you know, like don't get involved in, in, in but we've done things like the, like the school system. I think that's relatively in the last, you know, dozen years. Our commitment to the Rochester City Schools, which is, you know, is not easy work, and there are, of course, um, regulations and limitations when you're talking about a school. So it's not like you're in there, you know, preaching the gospel every, uh, you know, on a weekday. But I think uh, because maybe because the church has a strong evangelical commitment. You know, I don't remember anyone sweating about our, our involvement there. Like we were losing focus. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I'm even answering your question. I, I, I get the tension, and some churches, certainly uh, more um, even churches in our city, because it's their framework. You know, they, they they would be less shy about the social gospel in 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 that in the ways that you describe it, and they would say that is the work of the church. You know, and that is a big part of the work of the church. I think Browncroft has maintained a, such a strong commitment to, you know, life change first. You know, the gospel changing our hearts and leading to ministry to um, all kinds of people, whether they drive nice cars uh, and live in, mm -hmm. in the suburbs or they are in a third, a uh, different part of the world. So, I'm. Uh, it's just been a privilege to, to try to, to energize us and move us in those directions. You know, I want to come back to, you know, just your personal story and just, you know, when I asked you about if the church wasn't here, you pointed at individuals. Yeah. And I don't think our listeners fully appreciate, like, being a first-generation Christian. Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, my parents were kind of the first-generation Christian, and, you know, that changed a ton in my family. Right. Aaron, I don't know what, what legacy you have, but, you know, I, I'm just kind of interested because, you know, you've brought up a few families from the church and these are all, you're the, you know, I came to Rochester and one of my favorite stories that you tell, if it's bad, we can edit it out. But like, you got to one of the search committees and you met Kim Igo, who's on her staff. Right. And you're like, crud i went to high school with her yeah. like and there's a different rob from you know arondequoit high school to the rob that shows up as pastor and i guess you know i'm just kind of curious for you from someone that's a first generation christian in their family and you know you have a number of siblings that are also following jesus too you know when you talk about the legacy of families you know there's things we can't measure like we can't measure how the gospel, like this couple didn't get divorced. We can't measure how someone might have lost their job or the alcoholism. 
But like, is that the biggest thing that you sit back and you go, wow, like there's these families that one person took a risk and that changed the course of eternity in their life? You know, it certainly is my story. Um, So I don't, everyone is unique to their story. And there's always, you know, there's, there's challenges in being a second generation Christian, as you know, I guess, Pete, and you're you're kind of in the middle because your parents became Christians once you were already in the game, right? Mm. Young, young kid. But, um, but no, I, I, it gives me great respect for for the, the importance of sharing the faith, of being, you know, evangelizing, and um, and knowing what it's like to come as a young adult. I was eighteen to experience something that's truly radical. And I don't. I, that doesn't mean that's the only way to become a Christian. I, I, I think if I had kids, I'd, I'd want to get them to, to Jesus as soon as they could be, you know, young as they are. I would, I would want to do everything I could, even if they received Christ and it seemed as natural as, you know, you know, um, going to school. But um, for me, when I came to Christ as a college student, freshman in college, it was, I, there's nothing I can think of in my in my life that would be comparison you know that's it was the biggest unexpected change and and it was it doesn't mean it was you know it's all simple but i mean it was really in some sense all positive and so when i think back whether it's my sister who played a role whether it's a few other people um, old high school buddies that played a role whether it was then some people i met you know that were friends of friends who took the time to talk with me, pray with me? Oh, it's, I think it's huge, and and, and uh, that that we are around people, maybe more than ever, that um, are not um, do not grow up in in Christian homes, and or don't have a, a personal faith in Jesus, and when you see people, as we could name names even here, just in the last handful of years, you know, when we baptize people, and often not always. They're, they're new believers. When I think of that girl, um, the first girl, um, is it her name Cassie, the one that we came through the pizza with the pastor, just, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, what a wonderful story that was. I mean, talk about a powerful story. And I think she was, a, she was just a high school kid. But, you know, uh, almost like the two stories I just mentioned on Pizza with the Pastor, which is also where I think we met her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's profound to hear people talk about their faith um, when they're, you know, a young adult or an adult, and to think that you or I had a role, um, or someone had a role in helping them become a Christian, it's it's huge. Hmm. So um, I think that's that's what makes the faith so amazing. And, and and you know, even people that are like the great Nathan Yoder, who's here, you know, who I don't know Nate's whole story, but I know his mom and dad, and I, and I would say Nate grew up in a Christian family. But you know, um, even then, he, he's making his own decisions. You know what I mean? People still like you, Pete. You know, um, so there's a story there too. Basically, everybody needs to make a commitment to Christ, like what Ted Giro said in his in his message last Sunday. You know, in that interview for those who were in church. You know, I was a believer, but then I became convinced. So mm-hmm. everyone has to do that. But I do think there's something very exciting, if I'm answering your question, about reaching people who, whether they grow up in a nominal home religious home or not to know christ that's i think the most exciting work a church can do Mm. and um 
And here, all these years later, not only the 100 years of Browncroft, but the 2,000 years of the Church of Jesus, you know, with all that happened in this, happens in this world, all the bells and whistles that have happened in this world, all the technology, you know, in a sense, there's really, it hasn't really moved the needle, in my opinion, on, on something that's more dramatic and powerful than somebody who comes to meet the gospel mm. To experience the forgiveness of sins, and um, you know, it's it's that's what the church gets to do. Mm. So it's um, it's a beautiful thing. Amen. Mm. Yeah, that's so cool. That's cool. I love that. Um, so I'm curious, what over the last couple of decades? I mean, we could talk about the hundred years of the church, but you know, you're much more familiar with the last couple of decades. Right. I'm curious, what is what's kind of what's been a surprise for you over that time? Um, it can be a good surprise, it doesn't have to be a bad surprise, but for our church in particular, or maybe maybe the church more at large too. But and then well, I also wanted to ask, and this will kind of maybe shift us towards looking at the future too. You know, when you look at the trajectory of um, or the terrain that we're in right now, you know, what's something that you would hope will surprise you twenty years from now about where Browncroft has gone, or um, you know, I'm just. I guess I'm trying to fish a little bit for where. Where do you Where do you want to see us? Where would you love to see God do an awesome work and and really, you know, surprise all yeah. of us or where He sends us? Yeah, I think the thing that I'm most hopeful about, if I'm trying to answer your question, is kind of what I was saying before about where my faith is. Um, there's a lot of change. The world's experienced tons of change in 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 the digital revolution, which is still going on in many ways, in the um, globalization, which is you know a big part of the supply chain issues that we're having, in the cultural um, you know um, changes with you know gender identity, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you think of all of these changes that are rapidly happening, and you could say um, that it's you know ooh you know some people I think are even when Pete mentioned you know pastors leaving the ministry, which I think was more related to COVID and, the, and some of the challenges of the last 24 months, I think there has been a lot of people mm -hmm. who've said, I'm just exhausted and it's, too, it's difficult. I think all of those realities are true, but back to the hope, to me, I see it as, as making the church burn brighter, not, not dimmer, because the what those things tell me is there's more anxiety in the culture, there's more fear in the culture, there's more uncertainty so there's more technology, but technology isn't certainty. Technology is technology. So I, my sense is, if the gospel is about knowing who you are, right, a true identity, the who you, you who 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 made you, what life, the answering the big questions of life, why am I here, and what is the meaning of life, what is the meaning of my life, right? I don't think those questions go away, and I don't believe. I think technology can be used. Oh my goodness, we're using it right now. So one of the short answers to your question is, has technology advanced the gospel? Absolutely. But it's, but it's not technology, it's the gospel. Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm upbeat, Aaron, because I think the opportunities are greater from the church than they have ever been in my small lifetime. That's to say, I've only lived however many years I've lived. I'm not, I'm not you know, in the 2,000 years of the history. But, but in my life, I'd say they're greater mm -hmm. because the you might say the the untimely death of Christendom or whatever you want to call it you know um, the, at least 20th century America maybe more in the south than in the north 
that sort of Christian culture thing, which was nice that you didn't have to go to, you could send your kids to the public school and not worry about X, Y, and Z, or certain cultural issues that are now in your face weren't in your face, so the culture cooperated with, let's say, a, a certain ethic. But that sort of still only was a, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily changing people's lives. It was just making my life as a Christian or my, you know, raising children as a, as a Christian, it made it a little bit easier. And I, I'd rather live in America than live in the Middle East or something or some other place that's not friendly to Christianity. But when it comes to changing people's lives in the gospel, changing culture from the inside out, right? Um, now things are more exposed, and it's in, in some of the baloney or or, or the or the or what stood in between Christians and non-Christians has been removed. There's more exposure, but I think it's 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 great for opportunity. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I would say is, this is what I hear. I don't know. Maybe we should interview Nate. I mean, just as, as a as a younger cohort, but to say. What I'm hearing from people, things that I've read, is people that are, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, they don't want, they're more, their hunger, they have a greater hunger for truth and not, not less of a hunger. Even though the world has become relativistic, the, I think people are more hungry for truth. I'm not so sure that the, what we're seeing nationally, I'm talking about internationally with national, a rise of nationalism, you know, Putin, you know, uh, Donald Trump, um, you know, uh, the, the guy in Italy. I mean, we go down the line of what, there's been a general move towards nationalistic politics, even in France. Now, what's his name? Just one, barely. But Le Pen was, was a strong nationalist. And that's not unique to America or um, to Russia. But I think what that's reflective of is a, a, a hunger for certainty I'm not saying that's the right way to go. I don't. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I, I think a lot of these governments, um, you know, uh, the, you know, authoritarianism is not healthy. But it, there's a hunger for certainty because the cultural, some of the cultural fabric has come apart. But I think the upside is what people want to know when they're looking for spiritual truth is a sense of certainty. I think that gives us an opportunity. As I've said, I joke with Pete a lot as our one of our discipleship guys. I think people. Even Christians, let's start with who we have. Um, we need, we are hungering for the Word of God, hungering for doctrine, hungering for truth, hungering for greater understanding. So that I would say that's the upside, hmm. because we, we, the other side of that is we have so many resources when it comes to learning the scriptures, learning, let's say, the true fundamentals of the faith. I mean, you look at even like something like I don't know if our listeners would know this or people listening, the Gospel Coalition. That's a dusty old you know organization that we know because we all are into the, in this business but it's um it's only been around for 15 18 years oh my goodness the thing's huge and it's very um theologically conservative and they're writing all kinds of books and doing all i'm just saying where did that come from well i think it comes to reflection of the hunger um for truth and hunger for certainty in the in the best sense of the term so that's that's my I would hope this church, you know, um, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, um, is however bigger it is, wherever it's, whatever it looks like in its, you know, when it's Sunday morning experience, is, um, is, is, is doing an even better job, a stronger job in discipling people and kids in truth. Because I think, and I think people are hungry for it. Now, the challenge is, you know, the devil is a great master, 
is he's 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 you know the church has gotten a bad um, rap in a lot of things, right? So the church is a lot of people are turned off by religion, and they're turned off by fundamentalism. They're turned off by you know um, politics and religion. All these things are true, uh, but so those are but those are distractions, really. And and they haven't changed the hung the truth of the gospel one iota. So we have some work to do, not just Browncroft, to help um, refine ways to detach ourselves from these, you know, these unhealthy relationships that sometimes we have, and and but in, in but in lead with the the truth of the gospel, like Ted Giro said. Remember those great words if you were in church Sunday when he said something about. You know the simple gospel and the being a city on a hill. So I don't know. That that that's what excites me. I, I think, I think there's tremendous opportunity. If I was, uh, I keep joking about Nate Yoder, but if I if I was you know a man a young man, um, and I my head was screwed on straight, which I don't know that mine was when I was so young. I'd I'd love to be a pastor. In other words, I'd say it's a great job. It's a great opportunity to get into the ministry. Um, not that you have to be a minister, of course, to share the gospel, but I think I would be very energized by the, uh, I don't think the church is is fading. Hmm. Um, I think that's a lot of baloney. I mean, we, that's been going on forever, you know, and that, you know, with all these cultural changes, the church is gonna become irrelevant. Listen, it's it's not gonna become irrelevant because the church is not a, it's not Wegmans. It's not, it's not a, um, it's not a consumer good. The church has the gospel, and the only churches that aren't going to be around are ones that aren't holding to the truth. And then they'll, they're going to go the way of mainline churches today, which are many of them um, are, are empty, and they're, and they're kept alive, not all, but by endowments, but there's not people there. But churches um, that have stuck to the truth, they're growing in this country and in this world because there's a real hunger for that. So. So two last questions, yeah. um, <clears throat> but this one comes out of, um, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about you is you're a great student of God's word, but also just kind of a student of culture. And I think one of the most powerful things you just said there was, you know, the world that we live in right now is more anxious and hopeless. And, you know, even in your answer, I mean, you're one of the best people off the cuff. You know, you're talking about this kind of relationship you know, kind of between truth and discipleship. And when we talk about discipleship, we're, we're talking about not just Sunday, but what does your life look like following Jesus Monday through Friday? And I think the question I want to pose to you about the next 20 years, um, it's this question, not so much that people are asking, is Christianity right? Or is it true? They're asking, does it work? Yeah. So if you're sitting down with a 25-year-old who barely comes to church, and they're like, Rob, does Christianity work? What's your What's your response to that? Well, you know, I of course I believe one hundred percent it does, and you know, um, I'm trying to think of how I would best answer that. I, you know, it depends on who I'm talking to, but I, I would certainly not try to sell it like it's you know like um, Amway. Just not what you're saying, but yeah. Amway works, or or you know. Um, CrossFit works, yeah. you know. It, to me, it's it's fundamentally a different thing. I I, I would say, you know, um, you know, friend, have you ever been in love? You know, everyone gets that metaphor. You know, whether you're married for twenty years or you're you're a high school student, you know. And and I would say, you know, and one of the greatest things in life 
you know, even though relationships are hard as nails, you know, but um, often, I mean, it's the nature of life, we're all sinners, but, you know, is, is, um, is to be in a relationship right and fall in love maybe get married and there's something profound about that even though it happens every day right there's mm -hmm. weddings every day but in a sense you'd say it's one of the most profound things right people that fall in love and get married and and when i'm talking about does christianity work i would say you know that's what i'm talking about it's about a personal relationship with someone yes god is is you can't put your arms around him um, but it's a personal relationship that will fundamentally, for me, I would say if I'm talking to this friend, will, um, you know, uh, remake you, re, 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 um, re, renew you in every possible way. And you will um, come to know yourself and what your life is about through that relationship in a way that nothing else will. So I guess I would... I would say it's it's so much more than does it work. That's mm -hmm. such a great, you know, American question. You know, we're, <laughs> we're so pragmatic. You know, does it work? You know, like uh, like you're on a diet, and I know that you. But I mean, so that's the way we do talk. Yeah. But I I guess I would try to reframe it to say it's so much more than does it work. It's it's about um, radically changing your life from the inside out in in the best ways and coming really to know, you know, not only the the meaning of life, but who am I? And in, a, in, in the context of a loving relationship. So, you know, so I would say absolutely, you know, um, but as I said, even I think I wonder if I said it this past Sunday, I can't remember now, but, you know, um, Christianity, um, becoming a Christian is not, it's not like you're joining um, a gym. It's not like you're, you know, marriage is perhaps the best metaphor, but even imperfect, right? People don't get married, you know, uh, or the vast majority of them, you know, you know, overnight. You know, it's, it's too big of a commitment. So um, because it, it's, it's literally, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a radical change. I think all for the good begins mm -hmm. with the forgiveness of sins and, and coming into a true relationship with reality. That's who Jesus is, in a sense. I mean, this is a little, uh, you know, philosophical-ish, but really, Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of reality. Mm -hmm. And um, and when you and I come into contact context with true reality, um, it's it's a game changer. And so I think that's what people are hungering for, mm -hmm. you know, and. Um, and, and they're so jaded because every other false reality that they're courting in life, and we could think of, we could make a, a short list very quickly from, from religion to politics to, you know, all kinds of um, pleasures and addictions, they all disappoint mm. because they turn out to be something that is not ultimately hold the weight of reality. But um, I think a relationship, a true relationship with God does. So that's what I would say, you know. You know, before we get to our last question, it kind of reminds me, there's this worship leader named John Guerra who wrote a song called Citizens, and he, and he talks about knowing Jesus. We, we arrive as immigrants, we become citizens, and then you call us sons and daughters. And I just mm. think that that's, you know, with the marriage, that's such that's a, a powerful, idea. you know, to go from that. So it's good. Yeah. So, hey, as we close, so 
you know, the great thing about you is if we do bring up heresy, we basically get fired. But, you All know, right. I'm so <laughs> I thought I thought what he was going to be, you know, his biggest surprise is just like, well, you two, you know, and yeah. then <laughs> maybe not Nathan. But the, the question we always ask is, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? So Aaron, and I will answer and we'll let you close it out. So you want to go first or sure? Uh, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate this conversation, Pastor Rob. I think it's, I think it's a great one. I love that you, you brought up a lot of good points. You and you also alluded in the midst of your conversation. Uh, you, you talked about, you were talking about Browncroft's hundred years and why that matters. But um, you also alluded to the fact that the church has a longer history than that. I mean, really, while we're celebrating something that I think is very important to celebrate, it's a drop in the bucket compared to two thousand years of the church and then you know, many years beyond that of God working, uh, millennia beyond that, and, and then eternity in general. So um, it's good to know our place in, in, the, in the big scheme. And uh, I think that's, that's important to think about and reflect on. And, um, but I do, I do, I'm, I, I think that, uh, I think Jesus wants us to reflect on things and think about where he's brought us from, um, and then to dream about where he wants us to go to, um, not just dream. I think you, you actually just talked about how we want, we were getting to get to know a person, Mm. uh, and a person who actually wants to have a relationship with us and who actually has a purpose for us and a plan and wants to reveal that to us. Um, you know, I, I pray for, for Browncroft that we continue to follow that plan um and and to seek what what the lord wants us to do next and and in the midst of that i know that we will make an impact on this community um because jesus is reality and he wants he wants the whole community to to know him so um and that's there's only only good that can come from a sincere uh pursuit of that that's that's my thought Mm -hmm. you know i was thinking about uh you know rob getting interviewed and i was trying to think you know where to go with this and probably in my eight years here one of the passages that's probably the top three that he's preached on the most is acts 2 42 mm. through 47 and basically the writer of that passage is talking about the church how they're meeting together they're reading the bible they're sharing with one another and living together and you know why does jesus care why would you care about these next hundred years because you know in a world where a savior could have come and they could have had a whole processional and if jesus coming today maybe he would have been you know we would have thought he was the TikTok star but he didn't come that way he came and he invested three years in 12 disciples and and quiet and there's there's not even enough stories in the gospels of what jesus did and you look at that story in acts 2 and that's the church which is this very gritty one-on-one relationship and i think that that came true here at browncroft is you know while we're doubting how the church makes a difference in the midst of the deconstruction conversation all the stuff that's going on there's hundreds of churches and individuals that have been changed by jesus that until the other side of eternity we're not going to see that change but it's happening and i would just encourage any of our listeners i think Jesus works in very subversive ways that we don't. And sometimes you have to really look to see some of the hugest impacts of the gospel in your neighborhoods, in your cities, um, where you live and in your schools. But 
I think the story of Browncroft is is that God is the hero and God has been working. So, Rob, we'll let you close it out. Yeah. Well, I would just say amen. When you say subversive, it made me think of the coronavirus, you know, and in, in what I've just read and some of you guys have read about what, the, what God is doing. I think some of the greatest things have happened in the body of Christ from, you know, things that I've read. Even just, I was talking to Jairus, the guy who was visiting us, Pete, your friend and mine, um, from Mariner's Church. And Mariner's Church, for those of you who don't know, big church in California, in Orange County, and um, they went through what everyone else went through. And, you know, people not coming to church and the coronavirus and California's like New York. It's a very, you know, serious, um, regulated state kind of a thing. So they had even more shut down than than some other states did, kind of like us. And what are they going to do? Well, they started this thing, um, Jairus told me, where they um, um, they were having people gather, you know, and just saying, well, you know, those of you who live in X, Y, and Z area, you just gather and they would have like maybe 40 people. So this church of thousands, and then now they're down to people that are gathering and you know, 40 here, 40 there, and, and the pastors are just trying to do what they can. Well, that turns out to be, um, I think Jairus told me, um, five of those areas, you know, and he named them, ticked them off that are uh, you know, within X miles of Irvine, California, that were just these little group gatherings have turned into small little church plants, Santa mm-hmm. Ana, Mission Viejo, et cetera. And, and uh, that's the subversive nature of the, of the kingdom, as you're saying. You know, we, and, and, and maybe the church needed to get smaller to get, to get better, not just Mariners, but Browncroft. But I mean, in other words, you know, we, we, you know, one of the other downsides of the last, not just two years, but last many years. I mean, in, in the absence of true worship, authoritarianism is one thing that happens, right? We begin to worship politicians. The other ones is celebrities, so that's not brand new. But you know, we're we've lost our our way. Um, not only the culture, of course, is you know celebrity focused. You mm-hmm. know, when I Time magazine used to do the hundred most important people, the you know it used to be Einstein and FDR. You know, <laughs> now it's Lady Gaga. You know, but I'm just saying. But the point is, celebrity culture has become has become not only so big in the world, it's infected the church. Okay, so it's not all bad or all good, but the point is the idea that these, you know, that I'm a, we call them celebrity pastors. Okay, I mean, there's some sense that's okay, but really it's kind of a, kind of a contradiction in terms. And, and you could, you know, where you go down, right on down the line. So I think even though the church is working through some of its troubles, right, like the Hillsong thing, you know, it just happened, that's a sad thing. Um, and I'm, we don't know all the story, but the point simply is, um, while those things are happening on some level, and some people could look at that and go, you know, and what is that? That's just a big church that had some troubles in, in the media. But the, and say, there's a sign that the church is, is becoming irrelevant. I don't think so. Because on the level of the subversive, which is what you just said, Pete, where God is doing amazing things, whether it's through the, the, the reinvention of the church, that Mariner is a good example of what of, of that. In the digital, I, I, I still meet people, even little old Browncroft here, who, who, you know, as a pastor, you're always wondering, where is so-and-so, where is so-and-so? And, you know, I had a lot of those feelings over the last 24 months. And, you know, so you write cards, you don't know, it's all anecdotal. And then I see people, I just saw a couple this last Sunday, and, 
and hugs and this and mentioned sermons in the past and, and they think, oh no, we've been we've been we're not we're back now, but we've not we haven't missed a beat. You know what I mean? In other words, I'm just saying. So my point is, technology has 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 been used as well. Mm-hmm. So I that's my closing word. I, I think um, I think I don't know what Browncroft's going to look like, and in the Church of Jesus Christ is going to look like. It might not look that different because probably 50 years ago they said, oh, the you know. People aren't going to get together and gather and sing songs and listen to a sermon, but they're still doing that. But who knows? Maybe the church is going to look different, um, but I don't think it's going to be different at its core of what it's doing. And maybe, you know, we're going to, maybe what's old is new again, you know. So that, that's that's my closing thought. That's been Rob's slogan for like the past two years, you yeah. know, what's old is new again. Right. So there we go. Well, thank you so much for joining us, especially on this special centennial Rob, why don't you close us in prayer? Sure. I think that's probably the best way to close Glad out to this. Do it. Yeah. God and Father, we thank you for uh, just our church that we're talking about here in this in this hour in Browncroft Community Church. I'm humbled to be a part of it with these men and many, many others that this church uh, serves. And we just pray, Lord, for, um, you know, we say, we, we, we say tongue-in-cheek the next 100, and we do mean that, but even for the next one and next 10, as we really think about how you want to use this church to make uh, disciples uh, and to mobilize disciples here in this community. And we just pray for our, our congregation, Lord, for even these five weeks or so um, where, where we're thinking about what it means to be a disciple in terms of the past and future of our church. And just pray your blessings, Lord, that you would, you would that truly, I mean, and in, 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 in we mean this, that the best days of this church would be ahead of us, that all of you know the great um, victories of the last 100 years are prelude to, um, Lord, things that you, that you want to do that, 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 that maybe couldn't be done, uh, that the church in its heart and its soul was not ready to do, um, but you are ready to do it in this next uh, season. So we ask for your blessing and we anticipate, Lord, your, your, um, your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us.